This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today, I'm going to get into something that's related to due diligence, but also related to contracts, or PSAs, and this is the seller deliverable list. There are a lot of lists going around out there. A lot of them are pretty similar, to be honest. So I don't know that mine is particularly special as it pertains to the list. I would like to think that our template contract is is pretty special as it pertains to representations, warranties, indemnifications, covenants, conditions, precedent, and how these things impact the seller obligations and how the breach provisions work out, how the cure provisions work out, notice provisions, the potential tolling of the inspection period, or the requirements to close. So it all kind of marries together. Um, But part of this due diligence list is for purposes of your due diligence, but it's also kind of a way to extend your inspection period and your closing period. I sometimes can put out what I would consider to be an aggressive offer of say 20 day DD, 10 day close. But I'll tie it to the last of the received seller deliverable list items. And among other things, there's a title, preliminary title commitment. Well, that's out of my control. It takes anywhere from one to 10 days typically to get a title commitment. And if I can get the seller to agree to pay for a table A Alta survey, I know that those things cost generally north of $10,000 and take generally 30 to 60 days to produce. So if my shot clock, if you will, on the inspection period doesn't start until the latest received due diligence item, such as the survey, I can put a really aggressive timeline together because I'm probably going to get some more time on the tolling of the inspection period. I think I've mentioned on here before, I've closed no less than two deals on day zero of my DD. Because I didn't get everything that I need on this list. Now, sometimes I agree to not require everything, or the seller just says I don't have it. They say NA, not available or not applicable. And then, you know, then I can't rely on that. I just say, okay, you, can, you guys don't have an existing survey. That's one of the items, a copy of an existing survey or plat. If they don't have it, they don't have it, right? They just have to say NA. But sometimes they have stuff and they drag their feet and it delays and delays and delays and delays. And sometimes I realize I don't really need it. And a lot of stuff I don't really need anyway. But there's times you do need it. So I'm just going to rattle through some of these things. And I may stop and comment as to why they're important. First on my list, environmental reports. This is not often something that sellers have. But basically, if they have a phase one report that's clean, I probably want to hire the same company who's going to update it. Because it's going to cost me like 250 to 500 bucks instead of two grand. But if the phase one's dirty, well then I want to know that. I might just bail or, or budget in or renegotiate what the phase two is going to look like. Same thing with any copies of an existing survey or plat. Sometimes I don't have to buy a new survey. I actually uh, refinanced a deal last year with Fannie Mae, and my survey was a 1976 survey, but nothing had changed, and I had to sign a no-change affidavit, and they counted that. 
save me like $7,500. Just use the same survey. So if I, I want to know if a different if a different survey exists, maybe I'll just call that company and update it if needed. Same with any other third-party reports. Um, you know, is there a feasibility study? That's not as common in mobile home park land as in some other industries, but there may be soil reports or some other third-party report, you know, appraisals. I like to get a copy of the appraisal because sometimes you can use it to retrade. It's like, wait, whoa, this this only appraised for this two years ago. Or it just helps you from a straight due diligence because the appraisers have a lot of boilerplate information on the the market, the data on the park, et cetera. It's kind of a cross-check. And then it also helps your bank or your appraiser get a starting point. Um, sometimes you don't want to share it for valuation reasons, but you might want to share it for data reasons. Or just at least you can copy and paste it into an email, which gets the appraiser off and running faster which is sometimes an advantage, but sometimes I have another provision in my contract that there's a condition precedent to close that I have to have a satisfactory appraisal. Well, if I don't have the appraisal, clearly I'm not satisfied with it. So I can build in some delay time with the appraiser, with the banker, which works better depending on your banking relationship. I want to know if there's any as-built drawings or construction drawings, um, any reciprocal easements or ECR, CCR, covenants, you know, anything of the HOAs, a lot of those are uncommon in manufactured housing. Um, easements are not uncommon, but, you know, that's easements for, like, the utility company and things like that. Sometimes shared access easements versus, like, non-compete easements or, like, when I used to do retail, you might say, you know, you can't have famous footwear that sells shoes because you got Academy Sports that has an exclusive on shoes for the entire shopping center. You know, you can't have Scooter's Coffee if you've already got a Starbucks there, so on, so on. So you gotta know that kind of stuff. That's part of the title work and the title objections. And then I ask for copies of any permits, certificates of occupancy, licenses, and the annual fees and renewal dates for each. Realistically, I research that on my own, and it's part of my zoning letter process. So I don't trust what the seller gives me, but it's nice for a launching off point. And then it also helps me for my budget. Like, oh, the, I didn't realize the budget in this city is $50 per pad, where some cities it's $50 per park. So it helps uh, a lot from a budgeting perspective on the front end. Copies of any leases, amendments, etc. I mean, obviously I should get copies of leases. A lot of times they don't have copies of leases. They need to, but then I make them verify that and represent that in an, in an assignment of leases at closing. If there's private utilities, I definitely want to see water reports, sewer reports, things of that sort. Um, I want to see a copy of the insurance policy and, and loss run coverage to see what they've had any claims on. Um, I also want to see what the premiums are and the coverage level. Um, I typically am going to use my own insurance company anyway, but maybe I can get a better deal. Um, I ask for any right of first refusal, which is pretty uncommon or any right to purchase, pretty uncommon. Um, I ask for copies of the property tax bills. Realistically, I look at that early on, and I really often I look at that before I put my offer in, unless it's a good deal, because that is impactful. I think it's episodes 9 and 10, because some of the original episodes I did, there's a pretty good analysis on underwriting property taxes and then appealing property taxes. I'm sure I would have said on there, I've personally done tax appeals north of half a billion dollars single transactions. I've done, I've done some successful tax appeals, so it's it's crucial to understand property taxes. It's one of the most important variables in the operating expenses that I see brokers lying about all the time, and I see buyers and sellers not understanding all the time. All the time. There's other podcasters out there 
I won't say who, but they give entire segments on property taxes, and and they're, they're wrong, frankly. Um, so go listen to mine. It's one of my niche areas of expertise. One of two. The second to be determined. Okay, next. Letters of noncompliance from any governmental agency. They need to tell us this, and elsewhere in the document that's represented and warranted. I put this in the DD list because sometimes the attorney redlines the heck out of the representations and warranties, but they don't read this section, to be honest. Like, oh, that's deal. Those are deal terms. Give it to the client. And it's like, whoop, you redlined in one spot, and I accepted it because you've got a requirement elsewhere. And that's like a nice get-out-of-jail-free card, especially if your contract survives closing and the representations survive in perpetuity. You've got a you know, walking lawsuit if the seller lied to you. Copies utility bills. This is pretty helpful for budgeting. It's harder for me to get these. Like, property tax bills are of record. I can get my own property tax bills, but utility bills, it's nice to see. Copies of vendor contracts, personnel contracts. There's often not any of these, but this is important because elsewhere in the document, they represent that they're going to terminate all contracts and personnel prior to closing unless I put in writing decide to keep them, which can help me if, they, if I fire everybody and they make an employment claim. But also just helps me to understand where are the contracts, who are the vendors. It gives me people. People. I might need some of these people. I might keep some of these people. So I want their contact information also. I want a certified rent roll with the unit number, rental amount, move-in date, name, phone number, delinquency balance, security deposit, etc. I don't know any landlord that really has all that information um, on an accurate basis, like the phone number, because they change a lot. Um, but I asked for it, and if, I, if they say they give it to me and I find out that they didn't, well, it's another gotcha. Um, the next one is kind of a trick bag, a list of the five best and worst aspects of the property. They really shouldn't agree to this. That's like opening them up. Like, oh, it's great. There's no people of this color. Okay, like I've had people say that. Like, uh, there's no kids. You know, like, okay, you can't do that. But it's just good to kind of get their opinion off the cuff. Uh, I'd like to see copies of bank statements, but realistically, a lot of the value-add parks, it doesn't matter because the bank statements suck. And this blended in with 10 other properties, their personal stuff, or they collect cash. P&Ls, financial reports, balance sheets, I'd like to see that, but you don't get that from mom and pa a lot of times. So you kind of got to reconstruct the P&L, reconstruct the rent roll. That's part of it, but if they have it, they have it. And when you're buying with a broker or with a professional seller, they should have both bank statements and financial reports. And it's good to compare the two and compare them with the next item, the tax returns. Because you can then see if they're like, no one overstates their income on their taxes, right? They're lying. If they lie, they lie to get out of taxes. So if someone says on their tax return, I made 100,000 gross revenue, they probably did. What's more common is the P&L says, oh, I made 100, or the you know, pro forma says I made 100, but the tax return says I made 50. And they're like, oh, I just I just pocket a lot of the cash. Like, okay, maybe that's true, or maybe the park really only makes 50. I'd like to know any CapEx they've done. Um, vendors helps me out for putting together my own list, but also just want to know what's already been spent, what hasn't, because I can say if it was five years ago they replaced the roads, but the roads are in bad condition, but I know they probably didn't do it properly. So I'd like to know that. I'd like to also know the age type material of infrastructure and utilities. I typically don't trust them on this. I look at it myself. And I, I look at the status of the system and myself too. Like, is it submeter, private, public, the tenant pay, the landlord pays, a direct bill, etc. Um, but it's good to get them to answer this. A lot of the stuff is really designed to be a gotcha if they lie. And I just tell people, like, you're supposed to be a good guy. If you lie, you're a bad boy. 
if you're a bad boy, it's supposed to hurt. You're supposed to be punished. So if I find out you lied to me, I'm going to delay and extend my inspection period. But don't be a bad boy. Right? And I, by the way, I provide all this stuff too when I sell. And I need it if I refinance for the most part. So I'm not, not being unfair here, but a lot of people try to be a little crooked. So this buys me time. Um, okay, next. A list of any infrastructure or deferred maintenance issues. This is really just to see what they tell me for part of my DD. Uh, I typically like to know the date and the amount of the last several rent increases. This tells me what kind of rent history they have and then also maybe gives me a, a lens into what I can potentially do in the future. So if I've got a park that the rent was 150 forever and right before, right before they listed it, they up it to 225 and mark is 300, like, okay, it's still below market, but they just upped the rent significantly. I really want to watch collections. I really want to, I recognize I can't just increase rent that much on the current residents because they just got hit hard with a big rent increase. I want to know if there's any personal property included in the sale. This is kind of cool. You get some free, I say, see free stuff sometimes. Generally, I don't really put any value in the personal property or oftentimes the homes, the site built homes. And if I buy a deal and it's got that stuff, it's like a cherry on top. So I've got zero turn lawnmowers. I got some trucks. I got some pull behind trailers, all kinds of tools and power tools and lawnmowers. Got a golf cart one time. I got a John Deere skid steer loader that was pretty fun to drive. Came with a park. I wouldn't have paid for it. Uh, fun fact, I, I had it insured for $10,000 and it got stolen. And they just sent me a check for ten grand on a loader that I only used very, very periodically. So it ended up working out pretty well for me. But it came for free to the park. So it's like, boom, free $10,000. Some other stuff I've got. I mean, chainsaws, pull saws. Oh, I don't even know. All kinds of miscellaneous crap. You know, desks, chairs, computers, couches, TVs, security camera systems, stoves, refrigerators. I'm trying to think what else. Personal property. But stuff that's like, oh, that could actually use that. That has a little bit of value to me. But I, like, didn't pay for it. I just kind of, like, came with a deal. So that's kind of that's cool. I also asked the sellers, getting back on track here, for any criminal activity or problem tenants they probably shouldn't answer this i look for it myself anyway in dd i pull the criminal report but i want to see what they say like oh the person number nine is a huge problem um well why i think they're a drug dealer you get some interesting answers um that give you some you know nice color commentary on people i also obviously want a list of any of the big personal property like mobile homes or rvs and the lot number the size the year estimated value i'd like to see copies of the title um, and I will pass those to me at closing through a bill of sale with the voluminous representations, warranties, and indemnifications by the seller, which especially helps if I need to demolish homes or you know, take over possession of homes and the seller represent that they own them. And then I also like to see a copy of any prior title policy or title insurance um, when the seller bought it. That makes it faster and cheaper for my title company. And sometimes it, it helps. I had one deal where the seller was selling me a road that used to be an easement, but he ended up buying the parcels a road and I needed it for access to the park. Well, he didn't buy it right. He bought it from Bob and Susan. Well, Susan never signed, even though it was owned by Bob and Susan. And he knew him. He said, oh, well, Susan had died five years earlier. It's like, well, you didn't really buy it right 
because now we got to go find a death certificate and you know find next of kin and get the state to sign off signing Susan's interest or they're going to shake us down for more money and I needed more time in the contract because the guy bought it for 2.7 million and the guy was getting offers north of 3 million it was in a really nice park so he wasn't giving me more time and he's like well buy it or don't I'm like I can't get title insurance well lucky for me or smart perhaps I had requested a copy of his title policy years earlier well the prior title company gave him title insurance when they really should not have they did it without the wife's the deceased wife's signature they made an error my title company was allowed to insure over that error so that in the event that i bought it and the wife's next of kin came and said hey that's our road and i had a problem and i had bad title i would look to my insurance company who had insured it and they would look to the prior insurance company insured it for what was my seller when he was the buyer and they had insured over that error and my company wouldn't have got stuck i wouldn't have got stuck the old title company would have got stuck so having access to the old policy can be helpful being a lawyer can be helpful because you look for that kind of crap um, there's lots of stuff like this that our law firm looks for on a regular basis shameless plug we sell our template psa all the time for 500 bucks and you can get all these things which obviously i've basically verbatim read to you but how they interplay um, we got a whole team of guys that can help as well. So uh, we kind of like doing this. We kind of like uh, winning, if you will. Um, we got lots of stories of, you know, we went on background, we went on a out, we on, went on a closing or an extension or a nuanced term. We recently got $80,000 in DD costs repaid from the seller for our client, the buyer, when the seller defaulted. So anyway... The devil's in the details, but sometimes the victory's in the details of contracts. So pay attention. Uh, until next time, thanks and God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.